Good evening. Uh, it's Wednesday night, and obviously I don't have to remind you that this is not our typical format, but we're so grateful that you're joining in. Uh, I do want to bring a message tonight uh, and a Bible study uh, on a topic that very much applies to us. Uh, I want us to take our eyes off of ourselves tonight and go over a Bible passage that reminds us of something that we need to be very mindful of. Uh, we're going to talk about the parable of the Good Samaritan and how the Good Samaritan saw the needs of the gentleman. And uh, he stepped in. He gave of his time and resources. And folks, sometimes right now, um, I think we need to be reminded of that because we might have fears about ourselves, about our family, our own needs. And let's not forget those around us who are very vulnerable, uh, I think in particular of the elderly who are being cautioned not to get out. We need to be very mindful of people's needs and we need to step in and do what we can uh, to help alleviate their suffering. So uh, I wanna invite you to take a Bible, find a Bible and turn to Luke chapter 10 with me if you would please. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 25, and we're talking tonight on the subject matter, what ministry looks like in action. What ministry looks like in action. Luke chapter 10, and I'll begin reading in verse 25. Luke 10 verse 25 says, On one occasion an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Soon, too, a Levite. When he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Stuart Briscoe says of this story that it is one of the world's superb short stories. Folks, we see here in this passage how important ministry is 
And ministry involves action. I'm reminded of what James writes in James chapter 1, verse 27, where he says, Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unspotted or unstained by the world. Folks, as we look around us, there's needs in society everywhere, especially right now. You might have a family member yourself or a neighbor or co-worker in need. And as the body of Christ, we need to step in and we need to help them. We need to do what we can. That's ministry. And as the body of Christ, we do ministry in Jesus' name. That's important. Folks, as we isolate ourselves, we've got to be very careful that we not shut ourselves off totally from people's concerns and people's needs. Ministry uh, doesn't practice social distancing. I guess I should say ministry needs. Needs are still there. Needs pop up. And sometimes needs are very urgent. In fact, right now, needs might even increase for a lot of people. One of the ways you and I can be salt and light is to take care of these needs. You know, it might even be our ministry to somebody that ends up leading them to faith in Christ if they're an unbeliever. And when they see our love for them and our care, it, it might touch them during this time because they'll ask, why would you do something like that for me? Why would you even want to worry about me at a time like this? And so it gives us an opportunity to share the hope that we have in Christ. And it might be through that avenue that you have the opportunity of leading that person to faith in Christ. So pray for those opportunities and pay very close attention to who God leads across your path. Folks, there's another very important point I want to emphasize. And that is that ministry doesn't have to be complicated. It's simply being there for people in their time of need. Now, let's look at the context of this story. If you'll back up to verse 21, Dr. Robert Stein, one of our Southern Baptist New Testament scholars, he, he has a commentary on the book of Luke, and he points out that this parable is probably meant to tie in with verse 21. In verse 21, Jesus thanks God that he has hidden things from the wise and the understanding while revealing them to, to babes. This lawyer is an illustration of someone who would have been considered to be among the wise. And yet, he's clueless as to who his neighbor really is. The lawyer gets his answer right in part, but he also seems to under, uh, misunderstand that salvation is not just a matter of knowing the answers. Jesus commends him on his knowledge, but then he says, do this and you will live. In other words, you've got to act on your knowledge. You've got to put head knowledge into practice. Now, the lawyer should have left well enough alone at this point, but he's like a lawyer, isn't he? 
Uh, he's got to try to nitpick things. And so in verse 29, he, he wants to keep egging on the matter uh, and asking, and who is my neighbor? And so in response to that, Jesus tells a parable. And folks, it's a parable that was very true to life. You see, Jerusalem is 2,300 feet above sea level. Jericho, on the other hand, is near the Dead Sea, which is 1,300 feet below sea level. The road connecting Jerusalem and Jericho descended 3,600 feet in 17 miles. It was a road that had sharp declines, narrow passageways and caves and sudden turns. It was a favorite place for bandits to hide out and attack travelers. It's estimated that there were at least 12,000 thieves in the Judean wilderness. Gangs would roam the countryside like packs of dogs looking for innocent travelers to attack. Adding to this problem was the fact that Herod had laid off 40,000 workers creating great need in them. In the 5th century AD, this road was still referred to as the bloody way. In fact, even up to the middle of the 19th century, people would pay off local sheiks safety money uh, if they wanted to travel this road and be guaranteed of safe passage. Now, why do I say all that? I say all this to just simply point out how contemporary and true to life this parable was. In fact, some scholars think that Jesus might have been describing an actual occurrence and turning it into a parable to teach a lesson. The parable demonstrates for us that Christian ministry clearly demands compassion and a compassion that results in meaningful intervention. So what are some lessons we can learn from this? I think in particular, lesson number two and lesson number three are going to have a great deal of, of application to us today. But first of all, lesson number one. Lesson number one, we see that ministry involves reaching out to people who may not be like us. Notice the lawyer's question in verse 29. He asked, and who is my neighbor? He probably would have expected the answer, your neighbor is somebody just like you. He probably had a fellow Jew in mind. Maybe he's even thinking about somebody in his own circles. You know, ministry is easy when... We're touching people, touching lives of people who are just like us. He was not prepared for what Jesus had to say, though. You see, the Jews had very little to do with Gentiles. They saw Gentiles as being chaff. There was actually a section in their commentaries that they wrote on the Sabbath laws that said if you were walking along and saw a wall that had collapsed, you were allowed to dig through the rubble to see if the person under the rubble was a fellow Jew. And if they were, you could help. But if you discovered it was a Gentile, you just left them there in their misery. 
Likewise, the Jews had very little to do with the Samaritans. Just like the woman at the well uh, had that discussion with Jesus in John chapter 4. You remember the question she asked Jesus? She said to Jesus, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? So Jews and Samaritans had very little to do with one another. These hostile feelings had, had gone back about 450 years between the Jews and the Samaritans. There was just a lot of hatred and hostility between these two groups. And, and so centuries of uh, resentment had existed. So this lawyer would have expected an answer that he was to look after his own. You know, that can be our view of ministry sometimes, can it? Just look after our own. I'm going to look after those who are in my circles of influence. I'll look after my family members and a few friends that we have, or I might look after those in my Sunday school class or those I... Uh, socialize with on the weekend and and that's who I'm going to limit my ministry to is that your attitude is that my attitude I hope not I trust not you know it's kind of hard to carry out the great commission and have that attitude because obviously in the great commission Jesus says we're to go to the world we're to have the world on our mind and heart because God has the world on his mind and heart and so we've got to reach out and minister to people who may not be like us at all. And you know what, folks? That's not always been an easy lesson to learn, even in Bible days in the New Testament. You remember when God told Simon Peter to go to the home of Cornelius? Cornelius resisted that. He didn't want to go to the home of somebody that was a Gentile. And the Lord had to teach him a lesson on that. And then when Peter ministered to Cornelius and those that Cornelius had gathered, he led them to faith in Christ. When Peter turned around and went back to Jerusalem, the Jews, uh, they confronted Peter that he had been to the home of a Gentile. And so Peter had to go through with them how God had called him to that. And then once Peter said everything that God had showed him, they were okay with it. But I say that just to point out that even in the New Testament, that was sometimes a tough lesson for God's people to learn. That we have to go to those who might not be like us at all. That's lesson number one in this parable. Well, lesson number two. Ministry demands a commitment of our time. Look with me again in verse 31 and 32. A priest happened to be going down the same road when he saw the man he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Here's a priest in this parable. Now it's debatable whether we're intended to understand he was going to the temple or coming home from the temple. If he was going to the temple, this priest would have been excited to have left home that morning because he was going to Jerusalem to take his shift in ministry at the main temple. You see, folks, they had so many priests, they had to work at the main temple in shifts. I want you to remember that the Jews had synagogues that were like satellite campuses 
And, and their synagogues were dotted all over the landscape of, of Israel. But they only had the one main temple there in Jerusalem. Teaching would take place at the synagogues. Sacrifices would take place at the temple. And so it was an honor to be able to go up and minister at the temple. A pre-shift to work at the temple didn't come around very often. In fact, some scholars have pointed out that a pre-shift to work in the temple in Jerusalem would have only come around two separate weeks a year. A priest would work from Sabbath to Sabbath two times per year at the temple, and it was a great honor to be able to do so. Dealing with this fella is going to eat up bare minimum of one of his days of service at the temple. Now complicating this in the story is the fact that if this man turned out to have passed away and the priest went over to him and touched him, guess what would happen then? He couldn't take his shift at the temple. You see, he would have had to have gone through, through a time of ceremonial cleansing because of coming in contact with a dead body. According to the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 19, verse 11, he would be out of commission for seven days while he went through this cleansing ritual. And so one of his two weeks at the temple to serve would be gone. Well, you can see what he might be thinking. He may have genuinely felt sorry for this poor fellow, but he wasn't going to risk getting involved. If, on the other hand, he was going home from the temple, maybe he was just tired and, again, didn't want to get involved. He might have had the thought, Lord, I've been dealing with people all week long. Let somebody else help with this guy today. I'm tired, and I just want to get home. Or since they often connected sin and suffering together, he might have thought this guy is perhaps getting what he deserves. Maybe he's invited this plight upon himself. He might have even been thinking, if I stop, I might become a target. He, it might be a trap, and I go over to him, and then I'm going to be attacked. Whatever his motive for passing by on the other side, the point is he ignored the man in need. The Levite was like the priest, just, just like him. Folks, aren't we like that to lesser degrees? Some folks want religion where they really don't have to take time to get involved with people. They don't have time to deal with human need. Lord, I, I, I've worked hard all week. Just let me go to church and do my thing, leave and go home. Lord, I don't want to get involved with anything. Even when we accept that we need to do something, we, we still have to realize that, that we can't always plan it out according to our schedule. Folks, we have to stay available. Ministry is not always going to come at convenient times for us. No one could have predicted 
what the church in America is going through right now with this virus. We've got to be sensitive to the people around us and we've got to be willing to change our agenda. And we've got to be willing to take the time to minister to people who have needs. During this period of time that we're in, you may learn of somebody who needs certain items. Maybe they're stuck indoors or there's something standing in their way that they can't go and just take care of it themselves? What about those in your community group who might need help? How about those on your deacon list, if you're a deacon? What about the senior adult members of our congregation who are particularly vulnerable? Think about people like that. What's one thing it's going to take to minister to them? It's going to take my time, and it's going to take your time. It may not be convenient. It may not come when we planned it. But nonetheless, the need presents itself. I think of a situation last year where people in the church ministered to me. You may remember I had a huge tree in my yard fall on my house massive tree word got out about that and you know it wasn't very long before men and even some of the youth boys started pulling up at my house they had chainsaws and just all kinds of equipment and they jumped right in and they started helping me uh, doing whatever they could that meant the world to me I don't know what I would have done without them so just like folks have ministered to me, there may be people like that around you. And it's going to take time. You know, there's a condition that has been given a name. Uh, psychologists give things names. And one condition where people want to ignore others is referred to as bystander apathy. It comes from a situation that happened in one of our major cities up north where a young lady was being viciously attacked and nobody would step in to, to help her. This was a, a, a true case. And later on, when people were asked why they didn't step in to help her, people re responded by saying, I didn't know her. And psychologists went on to, to name something like that bystander apathy folks as the church let's not be guilty right now of bystander apathy your church staff is ready to roll up our sleeves and go get things for people or take whatever time that we need to take uh, to be ministering to people in need and I want to challenge you to be doing the very same thing a third lesson ministry involves cost Read with me verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. 
You see, after focusing on the bad guys in the story, both of whom were religious men, I want us to think about the good guy in the story, the Samaritan. In fact, he's such a good guy in the story, he's known today the world over. You have good Samaritan hospitals, good Samaritan schools. Up in Boone, North Carolina, you have Samaritan's Purse, the Christian ministry of Dr. Franklin Graham that goes to devastated places in the world and tries to bring relief in Jesus' name. You may have heard right now, one of the things they're doing is setting up a makeshift hospital with hospital rooms in Italy since that country and that country's hospitals have been so overwhelmed. And so we read about and we talk about good Samaritans all the time today. And why? It's because he's such a good guy in this parable. But you know, he wouldn't have immediately been perceived as a good guy. In fact, when Jesus first mentioned the Samaritan, who knows, maybe there were even some boos in the audience. But I want you to notice what this good Samaritan does. He saw the need and the need touched his heart. Folks, as you and I see needs of people, are our hearts moved with compassion? I think of what Matthew chapter 9 tells us, that Jesus saw the multitudes coming to him and they were like sheep without a shepherd. And Matthew 9 tells us that Jesus was moved with compassion and he said, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will hurl out or thrust out more workers into the harvest fields. We need to have compassion. Jesus has compassion. And I'm grateful that he does. This guy, obviously, in the parable, we're intended to see that he had compassion. Also, he interrupted his schedule. Verse 34, as I mentioned earlier, you know what ministry is going to cost you? It's going to cost time. If you're going to minister to people around you, you're going to have to settle the fact that it's going to cost you some of your own personal time. Thirdly, I want you to notice in verse 34, he had to get up close and personal. You know, to minister, you've got to get involved. You can't minister from afar. You have to do something meaningful. And then fourthly, he had to sacrifice some of his belongings. We see that in verses 34 and 35. It cost him bandaging material. It cost him oil and wine and two denarii. Now that may not sound like much to us, but a denarii was a day's wage. I want you to think about that. This guy gives up two days of pay to help Somebody that he did not even know. Would you and I give up two full days of pay to help somebody we don't even know? Notice what Jesus said to the lawyer. Who was the real neighbor? Who was the real minister? And what did they say? Or what did the expert in the law say? He said, the one who had mercy on him. This is one of those stories 
where the punchline is that we are to go and do likewise. We are to minister to those in need just like the good Samaritan did. Folks, don't just think about what a great story this is. It, it's a great story, no doubt. It's known the world over. Other than the parable of the prodigal son, it's probably the best known parable. It's a great story. But what are we supposed to do in our own lives that we can emulate, that we can follow the example of the good Samaritan? You see, that's the real lesson. And folks, we're not even, we don't even need to just think in terms of I'll pay somebody else to do ministry for me. Yes, there, there are people that we contribute and help. And that's great. That's wonderful. But don't miss the fact that all of us are to roll up our sleeves and be involved in ministry ourselves. What are you and I willing to do to go out of our way to take time, to pay the cost, to get involved, to see people as God sees them, and to step in to help. I want to invite you tonight to follow the example of the Samaritan. Live a life of impact and serve. Get involved, minister, give, sacrifice, be a true neighbor. Be sensitive to the needs of those around you. I mentioned a moment ago about senior adults or, or those in your community group or neighbors that you know that are not able to, to get out much, even in good circumstances. Get involved with people like that and roll up your sleeves. And you know what you might just find? you might just find that you're the one who gets the biggest blessing of all. Let's pray together. Folks, these are, dear God, these are, these are very trying times and troubling times that we're involved in right now. All of us would say, We've never seen anything like this. Lord, I know that I've not in my lifetime. Father, it's trying times for church families because we want to be meeting together. We want to be singing together, praying together, reading your word together, studying your word, and fellowshipping with one another. That's so important for the church to do. And we're being asked not to do that right now so that we can slow the, the spread of this virus. But Lord, it, it's, it's difficult not to meet. Lord, help us not to be blind to needs around us because there's still a lot that we can do. And Lord, I pray for every one of us that as we personally learn about needs, that we would roll up our sleeves and get involved and that we would meet that need because the day might come in our lives that we need folks to do that for us. 
Lord, I want to pray for those in our congregation that are worried. I pray that you would calm their anxieties and bring them your perfect peace that surpasses all understanding. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that you're the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our afflictions. Lord, comfort our, our members Wrap your loving arms around them and strengthen them with the strength beyond anything that they possess on their own. The psalmist said you're a tower of strength, a refuge, a present help in time of trouble. Be our refuge and our present help. And Lord, be a shepherd to your people. You're the good shepherd. You know our needs. And Lord, you know the needs of those in our congregation. So help them in a special way. God, I pray that this is a time that we would practice generosity in what we do, in our attitude, in what we give, in all ways that we would be a generous people in light of your grace. Lord, remind us of what Jesus left behind when he came in the incarnation. He he left behind the glories of heaven to come to a sin-sick world and minister. And we're so grateful that he did that. What a, what a sacrifice he made. Lord, we know ultimately he came to pay the price for our sin on the cross. And we're so grateful for that. But Lord, help us to have the mind of Christ when it comes to to ministering to other people. Lord, we pray for those in our congregation who are recovering from recent surgeries, for those who are getting ready to have surgery, and for those who are sick, that your healing hand would be on them, and God, that you would be with their doctors and nurses and give them wisdom and guidance to treat these folks in the most efficient and effective way possible. Father, I pray for families as they are isolating themselves in their homes, that it would be a time where families would grow closer to one another. And Lord, we stand on the promise in your word that you work all things together for the good of those who love you. So, Lord, even if we can't see it at the moment, we know based on your promise that there is good that you're going to bring out of this. And, Lord, we look so forward to that day that as your people, we can gather again in this worship center together in worship and praise of you. What a joyous day that's going to be. Until then, watch over us and guard us. And keep us in your peace and your grace and mercy and love. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. God bless you.